0: Thank you for being here tonight. It's uh, truly encouraging to be assembled together. I hope you feel that way too. And I loved uh, the sharing of hymns that we had together. I don't know about you, but uh, uh, I'm not one that follows award shows much. But I'm keenly aware that there's one going on tonight. Don't plan on watching it, to be honest with you. Um, It is the 88th Academy Awards. started in 1929, in May of 1929, and... uh, there's always dispute over who should win. There's always different opinions, or uh, it's kind of secretive about who votes on these things. But uh, it's people that in that small fellowship of uh, people in Hollywood, and uh, they get to vote on what's the best film of the year and different all kinds of categories that are there. That's uh, not really the contentious part to me, though. The contentious part is not who wins and who loses. Part of my problem is, is that red carpet, and it's there in the picture. In fact, it's called a red carpet. They use that term, and that is part of my problem, part of my issue. And it serves kind of an introductory note to the lesson tonight. Red carpet, the ancient Greeks said, belonged only to the gods. There was a distinction between men and, men and, men and gods, men and the divine and the red carpet was like a dividing line between the two, and only the gods were to walk on red carpet. How ironic that Hollywood stars would choose to enter, even those that are just nominated, into this uh, theater in downtown Hollywood on red carpet. They seem to Um, sometimes while they are talented and hardworking, and no doubt there's something like that, but uh, there's something disturbing about not only the patting yourself on the back, but also walking on what clearly, at least to pagans, was the sign of you're thinking too highly of yourself. I don't know about you, But I will recognize talent and abilities. If you give me a list of what I think are the most talented actors, actresses, musicians, I can give you that list. I care about the creative aspects of the human experience, and there are good ones. I'm told we might want to go see one that Hollywood came out by accident with. It's called Risen. I haven't seen it yet, but maybe every once in a while we'll get one right, one that doesn't go against the values of Christianity. But that red carpet thing bothers me. It bothers me because i will not exalt men i will not it's against everything i've been taught it's about against everything i i understand and uh, if we are followers of christ it's everything it's against goes everything we know and that's why the lesson tonight is really very simple in three points three moments of scripture that i put to your to, to your reading and in moments that you know well if you've uh, gone to Scripture often. The Dalreda family, in my opinion, exists among many other things that could be listed, many other sermons on this title that could be had. It exists to exalt Christ. That's not surprising, shouldn't be, but, but we, we contradict ourselves by the attention that we give to human things, and yet. I suggest to you, I submit to you that we are about, if we are in Christ, the the job of exalting Christ and him alone and no one else. And so I turn to three moments of scripture. John 1, Philippians 2, and Colossians 3. It's just by accident that it happens to be 1, 2, 3. That's just a Choice of mine that I made. And these are moments of scripture that I hope you know well. But here is what I've got to ask. Exalt. I am not going to exalt even what I may consider the best of musicians in this contemporary landscape of music. Or the best of actors and actresses. I will not do that. I will admire their talent. I will speak of their abilities. But to exalt, that belongs only to the divine. And that's where we need to be. We need to be in the business of exalting Christ. But it is legitimate for somebody outside that's not into the business of exalting Christ to ask, now whom exactly? Maybe sometimes we should ask ourselves that too. Who is it that I'm supposed to elevate, exalt? I will not exalt men, but I will exalt the carpenter from Nazareth. Now, whom do I exalt? Why do I exalt? And ultimately, how do I exalt? Three moments of scripture. Three questions that I ask myself, and I start with number one. It is not a silly question to ask whom, because in the landscape in nearly two billion people that say they worship Christ, there is so much confusion, and we are very aware of it. And it's brought on by our own making, because we are not clear in ourselves sometimes, who is it that we're supposed to praise and elevate among all others? There are none that are like Christ. And we should sometimes look fanatical about it. Sometimes people accuse us of being fanatic about our faith. Well, maybe we should be. We exalt Christ. He's not just a politician of the first century who got some pretty good numbers and polls. Ultimately, he went against the intelligentsia of the day that decided he wasn't good enough to get the the votes. He was not just a politician, though he he spoke with the politicians of the day, and he, he spoke to them about that. Was he a pop celebrity? Yes, he was. But ultimately, that was not the what he came for, what he, what he did. He, he had crowds around him all the time. Was he a psychotherapist? Well, before there was psychology and psychiatry, he... Seemed to talk to the needs of large crowds and individual people at the same time. But that's not what he was. That's not what he did. He seemed sometimes to be politically correct. But sage wise person, there are some that worship him and take him to that level. People of his time couldn't decide, is he a prophet like Elijah? Is he a John the Baptist that has returned after John the Baptist was beheaded? They couldn't make up their mind. Is he just a politically correct sage? Is that as far as you've got Christ in your life? Do we exalt him higher than just that level of understanding? To some, he's just, well, he did a lot of good stuff. He healed The sick, he praised uh, uh, the woman that gave only two mites. But was he just a do-gooder? Anemic means without much else to him. There are some that say that they follow Christ, but they follow a Christ that's no better, no more than that. Because they fail to exalt him in everything they do and in all occasions. There are a lot of people that would want Christ as their next-door neighbor. They don't want to live by, they'd like to live by somebody like him. But, but was he just a good next-door neighbor? Well, of course he wasn't. Who is it that we're supposed to exalt? Exalt whom? That's the question. So I turn to one of the later Gospels and his prologue, his preamble of the Gospel of John, written in the 90s. And it goes like this. And you can read the ESV version right behind me. In the beginning was the word... The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, is coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God. If I were to begin a gospel, it would not be this way because automatically the reader is kind of thrown into some depths. You and I are, even at, though we know this prologue, have heard it probably all our life, but we are thrown into the depths. He does not start with the simple, get more complex. He starts immediately with very complex, and you got to be on board and you got to be listening. Listen, he wasn't just a do gooder. The one we exalt, the whom, he was this wide and this deep, and you got to be ready to, to go profound. On this. And if you're distracted or superficial in your understanding and in spirituality, you're probably going to miss it from the first verse. He was the Word. John does not begin with areas of agreement, he's not waiting for you to raise your hand. We're not taking a poll here over he was. John walked and talked with him for three years. John, from his later age, writes these words and he says, you're going to be with me on board now, immediately or not. He confronts the reader, confronts you and me, with immediately with the most demanding and potentially divisive message. He was the Word. How are you going to vote this up or down? If it's down, you might as well not read any more of what I have to say about it. What his teachings were, what his life was. He was the Word. He asks commitment from the very beginning. Do you understand whose life, whose biography I'm about to tell you about? This is earth shaking. This is demanding. This is not casual. And we should not live our Christianity out in a casual way. He says nothing about his birth, his childhood. He lets the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Don, John do that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He doesn't need to do that. But he starts in the beginning of time, in the beginning was the word that takes you to the beginning to genesis chapter one same words he says the word word and to the audience of that time of the late first century well there were the jews and they saw that word as a very powerful word it was the active power of god god spoke and the sun was in place god spoke and there was the ocean that word is powerful Coming from a Jewish point of view, coming from a pagan Greco-Roman point of view, it, it meant in the schools of philosophy of the time, an impersonal force that gave order to the universe. He was the word. He is the word, is what he says. And the claim, even though you and I have heard it probably too often, is startling and needs to startle us again as we read it. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a good man, a good next-door neighbor, a good philosopher, a, a good guy to have in your generation. He's divine. He's God. And that's why you exalt him. Somebody might say, and John seems to read that in our minds, then why was he rejected? If he was the one, the only one, why was he rejected? The answer to that he gives you right there in his prologue. He was rejected by his own creation, much like Adam and Eve who were not atheists. They walked and talked with God in the garden and yet they willingly choose to disobey. Wow. The creature, the creation, because it has free will, will choose to, to turn down the truth and And to turn away to God. Rejection says more about the state of the world. And that's not physical things. That's people. The rejection of God. When we reject God. When we take God only in part. When we decide not to quite exalt Christ. I think we'll treat him like like a good prophet. A powerful speaker. Whatever we want. Then we are rejecting him. And it says more about us than it does about him. That doesn't diminish Christ diminishes us and our understanding and our intelligence and our spirituality john says that jesus remains the true light even when you and i decide to turn our personal lights off and become dark not all would turn their backs on him though i want to make sure that as i look at john 1 with you and consider the deep thoughts here That we understand that one of the functions of this congregation, of ourselves as living in this time, is not all will turn the lights off. Turn off God. That's why John writes another gospel. There were already three. Why do we need four? He writes it and he says the word believe repeatedly more than 80 times, 98 times during his gospel that those who are receptive might believe. And that's why you and I do what we do. We're here to share our faith with others so that those who will listen might believe. We're, though, we're here for those because those who do listen to us, who follow us, and accept Christ and exalt him and only him, Will receive eternal life, and it's all about that. My life will have meaning, I think, in God's eyes, if I bring one person to eternal life that was destined for perdition. So I ask myself I'm not asking you, I'm asking myself does knowing that He was the Word make any difference at all? No, ask yourself that. He was the Word. Whom do I exalt? He was the word. Nothing in this world is more significant than that. Nothing. Those Hollywood stars that come home with statuettes tonight will be sorely tempted to think they've reached the the pinnacle of their artistic life. And artistic may be the right word, but it's not the pinnacle of their life. And I hope that they will have the wisdom to understand that. Nothing in this world is as significant as exalting Christ. Nothing in the world matters as much as knowing him and who he truly was. And all those watered down bad imitations of Christ that are suggested to us by various sources, confused and intentional sources that want to muddy up the water for you and I so that we do something less than exalt him. They're wrong. They're wrong. John says a few more things, and I abandon him. Verse 14 and following The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from this fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, Who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. I read the whole section. But I want to mainly focus on those first words. That are placed there in red. Whom am I supposed to exalt? The word. Who became flesh. And dwelt among us. The word who became flesh, that's an oxymoron. It's the term oxymoron is a Greek word that means both dull and sharp at the same time. It's like the words in English, bittersweet, or jumbo shrimp, or cruel kindness. Those are all oxymorons, but this is the oxymoron of them all. God became flesh. That's a contradiction in terms. It's a contradiction to say God became flesh, but that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Flesh is something that you can pinch, you can touch. It's so blunt, it's so coarse, it seems, to apply to the divine. But that's what John wants you to recognize. Not just check off, you read it, you understand it. He's not 50% human and 50% divine. He's 100% human. He was 100% divine, still is, always has been. He experienced humanity to the fullest. So he stumbled, and he was exhausted, and he cried, and he felt disappointment and pain and grief and loss and hunger and thirst and all those things that you and I experience in the human life. He was really tempted. That's what Hebrews 4.15 says. If I had more time, we'd go there, but maybe you know that verse. He was tempted. And I find evidence of that because in the garden of Gethsemane, he looks up to God the Father and he says, Father, if it's your will... Can we skip this cup? Will you remove this cup from me? He's talking about the cross and what he was going to have to endure on the next day. The word became flesh and he lived, dwelt among us. The term there means he pitched his tent among us. If you're a Middle Eastern person and you've done a lot of living in tents you understand that concept. In our terms, he moved into our neighborhood. He bought the house next door to where you live. He's been there. Changed address. His previous address was in heaven. He came down here and he got dirty. And he allowed us to see him, to see the glory of God as manifested through him. So here is the moral of it all in the human being Jesus. Humanity, witnessed past tense, witnesses, present tense. We'll continue to witness if you're looking for him in scripture. And the witnesses that saw him. The presence of God. And that's why I exalt Christ. Because he's more than just a good man. Why should I exalt him? Why? The of family exists to exalt Christ. Philippians 2 is where I go. And the why is because our faith... Followers of Christ, disciples of Christ as you may be tonight, we don't do things the way the world does. Christianity celebrates going against the grain of the understanding of the world. Always has. Always always will. We celebrate humility. So he came, but he didn't walk on a red carpet. He came and he walked the dusty roads of Galilee. That's where he went. Humus is the origin of the word humility. It means earth. He had sandals and he walked on dusty roads, not on red carpet. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read it in just a second, but before you come to it, in my encouragement tonight... As you look for, now why do I exalt him? Why I exalt him, Christ, because he humbled himself for us. And another thing I find in Philippians 2, in that beautiful hymn, that is about five verses of gorgeous theology and hymnology. Because God exalted him, that's why I exalt him. So, here it is. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but in himself nothing, making the form of a servant, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself to becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Theologians have broken this gorgeous five verses of what is poetry in the book of Philippians. And have broken it down into, well, a, a hymn. And it doesn't need repeating, but here it is. He existed in the form of God. He regarded not equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. And he humbled himself even to the point of a cross. Becoming obedient even unto death. Even to the point of a cross. And the result of this ultimate act of humility on the part of God, his son, is that God the Father exalted him. And that's why. I am to exalt him. That's why I exalt him and no one else. Lastly, how? How? The Dalreda family exists to exalt Christ. How do you do that? What's it look like? So I turn my last moments to Colossians 3. And this is the text... Colossians is a letter that has is four chapters and divided kind of a, two theological chapters and two practical chapters. And chapter 3 is where the rubber meets the road. It's where the practical. And Paul is trying to answer to the Colossians who are having trouble with heresy. He tells them, now this is how you do this thing that we do. This is how. How it works out practically. And what you got to do is you got to stop mixing it up. There are things that we got to put off, and this is there are things we got to put on, and you can't mix and match. And your attempts to do that, as we still try to do it today, prevent us from exalting Christ. We can't mix it. We gotta stop straddling fences, trying to do three quarters. What will it make us exalt Christ? And one quarter, well, that which won't will be will be. Permanently unsuccessful if we don't put down on the changing room of our personal floor all the clothes that we were supposed to leave in baptism on the changing room and pick up the clothes that Christ has bought for us and put those on and nothing but those. And now the reading. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. Not on things that are on earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put off. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, put off. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there's no Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free. Christ is all, and in all you need to put on. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I think I could do this exalt Christ thing a lot better if I just retreated to a monastery a thousand feet up in the air. but we're not supposed to. We're supposed to do it here in Montgomery, wherever your hometown is. And we'll wake up tomorrow morning. That'll be another opportunity to shout Christ from the mountaintops of our life and exalt him and only him right where we live. We can't retreat to a monastery. We got to bring the monastery down here To a lost and dark world. And the way that we do that is by putting on the right things in our attitudes and thinking and putting off the things that prevent us from fully exalting Him. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We're going to sing a song now. If there's a need that you have to commit to change in your life as a Christian. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you're out of Christ, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Come forward as we stand and sing.